Leadership is not cute. It's painful, scary, risky, lonely, and at times seems not worth the sacrifices that come with it. Today, you need encouragement. You need more than a reminder of why you do what you do or a quote from a LinkedIn post. You need a guide who has insights that will keep you from shattering into a thousand pieces. Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and today's episode is in the deep end of the pool. And if you're looking for a shallow conversation, this is not it. We're talking about the making of a resilient leader. Todd Bolsinger is back as my guest today. He's been with us a few times in the past and always brings value. Now, I'm keeping this intro shorter than usual because the content is weightier than usual. I'm humbled to have him back with us again, so let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Todd Bolsinger on Tempered Resilience. So the new book is called Tempered Resilience, How Leaders Are Formed in the Crucible of Change. And it came out of having probably 100 different conversations after speaking engagements that came from my last book, Canoeing the Mountains. So, you know, Canoeing the Mountains is a book about leading adaptive change, leading change when you don't have expertise, when you've got to go off the map, when you've got to actually lead people through learning and loss. And what would happen is at the end of the, the webinar or the conversation or the conference, you know, oftentimes when I was traveling still pre-COVID, people would ask, somebody would invite me to lunch and then they would say, hey, that was, thank you for that. That was really nice. Um, I don't think we have anybody who can actually do that. <laughs> I would, I would have to like, it's like nothing like getting on a plane and feeling like you're wasting every time. And I, so I would say, well, tell me what I got to do different. They go, oh, no, 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 no. It's not about your presentation. It's, it, that's really, really hard. Leadership without expertise, you're disappointing people. They resist, they're sabotage. One person said to me, I think I can learn to lead change. I'm not sure I can survive it. And so I began to look at what does it take for leaders to develop the resilience to face the resistance that comes when they're leading change. And that's where that book came out of. In the book, I love the imagery and theme of blacksmithing that's used in Tempered Resilience. So talk a bit about the thread of blacksmithing in this book and how it's tied to the topic of resilience and leadership. I was in Washington, D.C. visiting um, all the monuments, and I went to the monument for Dr. Martin Luther King, and they have a quote there that actually comes out of the I Have a Dream speech, where he where he quotes a passage of the Old Testament. And then he says, with this faith, we'll be able to hew out of a mountain of despair, stones of hope. Hew, that was the verb. And I just found what an amazing verb. And, and he goes on to say in the speech, because I studied it a lot, with this faith, we'll be able to transform the jangling discourse of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. And if you know anything about like kind of those kind of oration, that's like a parallelism. So what he really does is he hooks the word hue to transform. And I started asking myself, how do you become a tool that can hue? Like how do you, if you're, if you're facing a giant granite mountain of despair and think about, you know, the, 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 our African-American brothers and sisters who feel like they have been fighting racism for 400 years. How do you transform that? How do you, what is the tool that would be needed? Not a sledgehammer that breaks through it or a dynamite that blows it up or, or cowers in front of it, but actually transforms it. And the imagery there of hewing led me to the whole idea of, of what kind of tempered tools like chisels 
are used to transform, you know, granite slabs into stones so that you can build something beautiful. And so that led me to blacksmithing and it led me to take a blacksmithing class in Los Angeles. There's an urban blacksmithing community. There hasn't been a horse there in a hundred years, but there's a group of people who blacksmith. And and I learned how to blacksmith a little bit and I learned a lot of lessons from blacksmithing. Take this wherever you want, um, but why does resilience matter? And what are the character qualities of a resilient leader? One of the things that we did, I discovered in talking to leaders a lot is that the most daunting challenge they face is not the change in the world. It's not the change in the marketplace. It's not the change. It's not COVID. It's not, um, it's not the change in the circumstances. Those feel daunting. Most leaders, though, will get up in the morning and say, okay, let's face that challenge. What's really hard is when they turn around to their people and say, we have a challenge in front of us we have to face, and their people then resist the transformation that's necessary to face that challenge. So the company has to pivot, the school has to change its curriculum, the church, I work with a lot of churches and nonprofits, have got to rethink their mission in light of a changing world. And what you, the most difficult part is the internal resistance that you're facing from your own people. And that is soul-sucking for leaders. That is just demoralizing. That's, 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 the, that's the moment when they either want to just give in and collude and say, okay, forget it, we won't change. Or they just get mad and they just get cynical and they just say, well, forget it, I'm out of here. Right? And so if you need leaders to lead through that kind of resistance, then what they need is resilience. And resilience in this way is not talking about just getting strong. Like in blacksmithing, you can make something so strong that eventually it becomes brittle. So you have to temper it, pull some of the stress out of it so that it's both stronger than it was before and it's more flexible. That's the sweet spot. It's both strength and flexibility that leaders need. And that's the resilience. That's what I mean by tempered resilience. And that is necessary in a world where we are facing daunting changes every single day and exhausted followers who don't want to change. Some of the things that you that you pull out, and we won't do this justice, just so everybody that's listening in, I'm not going to do the whole book justice here, but it, it should be tasty enough for people to jump into it. But teachable, attuned, adaptable, tenacious, resilient, and then underneath that grounded. So when you're strong, but flexible, are you speaking to those things? Or is there something else outside of that that we should be thinking about? Yeah, actually, that was great, Steve. You just named the qualities that make up a resilient leader. Okay. So one of the things that I did is I looked at the intersection of organizational leadership literature that talks a lot about the kinds of people who've led companies and uh, countries through crises and change. What are the personal character qualities of a leader? But I also compared them because I spent a lot of time working with uh, folks in religious and nonprofit settings with what things come out of the Judeo-Christian tradition that speak to those same qualities. Mm -hmm. And so you see some stuff like humility shows up huge. Humility is a huge trait for leaders. But when people think about humility, what they think about is self-effacement. Oh, I'll do a humble brag on Instagram. (laughs) That's not it. Humility is teachability. The capacity for a leader who is in charge to be the person who can stand in front of a group of people and say, folks, we don't have an answer, but we're going to learn how to do it together. So come learn with me. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail, but we're going to learn. Teachability is a really important quality for resilience. And then some of the other ones that follow after that, attuned. 
Attunement is really the way in which a leader can so empathize with their people that they begin to feel as if their brains are firing in the same way. Like there's this amazing uh, research that comes out of brain science that, that when you empathize with someone, when they feel felt and they feel heard and known, that literally the brains start to fire together and you start thinking well together because of it. Um, it it's one of the reasons why like the famous Google study about what makes really effective teams you know, they did it in a very googly way. They did a bunch of data and research with engineers. And what they came up with was psychological safety. Like if, you, if your team can all create a space where we can share ideas and fail and learn together and everybody feels safe, that's attunement. And so tempered resilience needs teachability and attunement is really, really important. It needs adaptability, the ability to hold on to your core values and figure out how to pivot them or adopt them in a faithful way so that you don't lose your soul, but you have the capacity to continue to move forward. You don't lose your core values, but you figure out how to endure. And then there's a tenacity. There is a kind of strength, a kind of grit that comes out of those things. And so teachable, attuned, adaptable, and tenacious are all qualities that lead to resilience. And in the book, I talk about practices, leadership and formation practices that help cultivate those qualities. You know, and you you also, and you mentioned it before, but you also uh, write about several leaders that have demonstrated what it looks like to become a tempered leader. Uh, there was a pastor who had a whole church walk out on him, um, mm-hmm. a Harvard grad who took over an organization with depleted funds and a tarnished uh, credibility. But one person that you mentioned earlier in the, in the interview already, uh, I'd like you to, to kind of expand on and, and, uh, you, you speak about him several times in the book, and it's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, so I, I'd like you to, to kind of zero in on that a little bit or zoom in, I should say. Uh, what was it about him that demonstrated tempered resilience? I think sometimes today we sit back and think, oh, my gosh, he was, you know, we had a holiday named after him. You know, he was, and of course, he was assassinated and he's a hero. And, and he must have just done it. Everybody must have just, you know, supported him and cheered him on. Oh, my gosh, not even close. He was leading a movement that was beautiful and transforming the country, and it had opposition on every side. There were people who were literally thought that his te- that his uh, techniques of nonviolent protest were too much. I mean, literally, he got arrested in Birmingham for leading a group of church people dressed in their Sunday best quietly through the streets of Birmingham, Alabama on Good Friday, simply to say, hey, we need better rights. And they, they arrested him, threw him in jail, and all the pastors in the town wrote a letter against him saying that he was stirring up too much trouble. Like, that's one side. And then he also had people on the other side who were saying stuff like, we need to turn to violence. We need to burn this place down. And he was trying to hold the middle. And what it took for him was a kind of resilience that needed to be cultivated by a set of practices every single day. And so one of the things is if you joined his nonviolent movement, you had to commit to 10 practices that you would do every day in order to stay anchored and transformed and grow in your character so that you could face wisely and calmly and faithfully uh, the opposition with your commitments to your nonviolent values. And I just see Dr. King more and more with each passing day as this remarkable example, not only of resilience, but of stunning leadership and honest vulnerability. He, he wasn't a superhero. He had his own doubts and he had his own struggles and he had his own foibles, 
but he was remarkable. And so I wanted to highlight his story as kind of the central metaphor of the book. Right. Um, Shifting a bit to uh, becoming a tempered leader, and you've touched on it a couple times, I'd I'd love if you could just, if you could give us an overview of what becoming a tempered leader entails. You know, how, how do we get there? This is like the blacksmithing metaphor, right? So if you think about yourself as like a piece of steel, right, just raw steel, your raw material of of your character of who you are. Um, And then you think about the process of how a piece of raw steel becomes a tempered tool. What happens is it goes through a process of heating. It goes into the fire and has to be fired to the place of it where it's almost liquid, right? It's like it has to become like literally melted down. And that experience for a leader is the experience of vulnerability. So here's one of the paradoxes. Tempered resilience, strength and flexibility comes by letting yourself experience vulnerability in your leadership. It's almost the complete opposite that we think. We think to be strong and to be tough, we need to fake it till we make it. People who fake it till they make it, fake it until they break it, (laughs) until their approach is broken, right? (laughs) What you actually have to do is you have to be able to become the kind of person who can embrace, at least with yourself and people that you trust, the vulnerability of of this moment so you can take on the shaping. And so the transformation that's needed, the character formation that's needed starts in vulnerability. And then just like a heated steel is put on an anvil, it requires relationships. So you don't face that vulnerability alone. You face that vulnerability through thick, uh, solid, heavy relationships like an anvil. And I say that every leader, therefore, needs partners, mentors, and friends. You need all three of those. So if you're going to lead, and especially if you're going to go through the vulnerability that takes the lead change, you're going to need to have a solid group of people. You cannot do this by yourself. So not only can you not fake it, but you cannot do it alone. So you need to be vulnerable, and you need to be in relationships with partners, mentors, and friends, all three. And then there is a set of practices that are, to me, are like the hammers, you know, the hammer that the blacksmith uses that shapes us. And those practices really are the way in which when you get into the place of leadership, you need to think through how you spend your morning, how you spend your day, the kinds of things you you put your energy toward that will continue to develop you as a resilient leader. And I have a, a list of those practices that we work through. And then I say we do that in a rhythm of leading and not leading. Which is, which is like you need to have both moments when you lead and you also need to have moments when you don't. That a tempered tool is one that is not only heated up and pounded, but is also slowly cooled over and over and over again to pull the stress out. So it's reflection, relationships, and a rule of life, a set of practices in a rhythm of leading and not leading that becomes your tempered tool. So I'd, I'd like to pause on a part of the book that that hit me hard and ties directly into this. Um, I'm going to read this quote from your book. And then if you could break this this statement down, because it's weighty. So if the first critical element for a leader's development of resilience is vulnerability, vulnerable self-reflection, then the second equally critical element is solid, safe relationship, thick, heavy relationships. So you touched on that, but help us, Todd, you know, break that statement down for us. So my dad uh, used to quote Harry Truman growing up. He'd say, you know, you know, leader, if you're going to be a leader, you know, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And we all know that being a leader, you take on heat. What I want to tell the leaders is if you're going to lead transformation in your organization, your company, your group, 
you need more heat than the leadership experience. You need to allow yourself to feel the heat of your own vulnerability. You need to feel what it's like to be able to say, I don't have an answer. I'm really tempted to fake it here. I'm tempted to get in front of these people and just pretend like it's all good. Um, I, I can't lead us forward. I think what I'm going to do is make a case to lead us back. And that moment of deep vulnerability is actually your moment to begin to take on the shaping that will make you a resilient leader. But you have to own that, feel that, be aware of that, be courageous in that moment. This is what uh, Bre Brene Brown is talking about this all over the place. And this is where she's making a huge impact because her ability to put courage and vulnerability together is really necessary, especially today for leaders. And vulnerability is like going into the fire. So when I was doing uh, blacksmithing, um, I just did a beginner class and they told me to take the steel and put it into the fire. And then they started talking for a while. And what's interesting, I, I realized I was blacksmithing before I'd had the complete safety lecture, which is really what it feels like to be in leadership, right? You're thrown into the fire before you have everything worked out. And about 10 minutes in, he told me to pull the steel out. And he said, look at it. It looks the same as it was before. It's 700 degrees. It'll burn the skin off your hand. Don't touch it. But it's not ready to form yet. You try to pound on this thing, you'll just mar it and scar it. You need to put it back in the fire until it gets to 2,000 degrees. So the vulnerability of relationship is like letting yourself experience 2,000 degrees, where you go from gray to orange. You go from solid to oozy, right? Mm -hmm. And that moment of vulnerability that you're going to have over and over and over again needs to be met by, by being held in secure relationships. So think about the steel coming out of the fire and going on to the anvil. You don't hit it in midair. You don't carry it around. Right. You don't look at it when it's in that oozy state. You put it on the anvil. The only safe place for something that hot is on an anvil. And what, this is where I want to say to leaders, you know, this is anybody listening could just ask yourself this question. You know, if I'm leading change, do I have partners who are in this with me? Do I have mentors who can help coach me through this? Do I have friends who care more about me than they care about my success? I need all three of those. I need partners who care more, more about the mission than they care about me. And I need friends who care about me more than they care about the mission. Mm -hmm. And I also need mentors, psychologists, therapists, coaches. I need people who will actually, I can go to and say, Help me. Help me see what I'm not seeing. Help me be able to face what I'm not facing. Help me figure this out. And that combination is so necessary that it's literally like imagine going into a blacksmithing class and they don't give you an anvil. You couldn't do the task. The first thing they give you when you walk in is they give you an anvil and they let you put your name on the anvil. I got a picture of an anvil with my name on it. And so that's so necessary for leaders that, that, because that vulnerability and the shaping and forming needs to be held in the relationships. And if anything, during 2020, we've all learned the hard way how deeply we need deep connection and relationships. Yes. Yeah. And another word that's used in the book um, and is in the title is crucible. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you, can you talk a little bit about crucible and, 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 and steer me if I'm off, but is, was 2020, could 2020 be like an example of a crucible for some of the people listening in or for us that are you know, us two that are talking to each other now? 2020 will be the crucible of the century. Like, like, okay. like, I mean, let's hope that we never have another year in the next hundred years as hard as this one was. Mm -hmm. Because 
you know, in 2020, we literally had, just think about this, we had 1918, 1929, and 1968 all at the same time. We had a health pandemic, we had a global economic recession, we had social in, uh, uprisings over injustice, all happening at the same time. And nobody has ever faced that before. 2020 was the ultimate crucible. And the word crucible really comes from a lot of leadership language, uh, li literature. In leadership literature, they'll talk about there are moments of crisis in businesses and organizations that are defining and that this is the moment where you, the crucible is where you discover your character. And what I want to say is that what we need to do when we're taking people through something like 2020 or any change, any disruption, is that you, what you're going to discover is what you're made of. And what you need to discover is that what you're made of needs to be made into something more resilient, stronger, more flexible, wiser, that we need to take advantage of moments like this for transformation. Thank you for that. That is uh, hopeful. And then also uh, a good self-reflection on what, what was, you know, we got bumped. We got bumped in 2020. So what came out? Um, what, 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 does, what does that say about our character? And uh, what moves do we need to make? So I know you've touched on uh, touched on it a bit already, but I'd like to park for a minute or two, if we could, on stress. So um, you talked about taking the stress out of the the piece of steel as it's being formed. So uh, in this next question, it's hitting on that. So what role does or should stress play in the process of becoming resilient? And and, and maybe how should we view uh, the heat? Um, that's produced during the stressful times. You know, what, what, what is that? What's the reframing of stress that we should look at? So um, I, this urban blacksmithing community in Los Angeles is actually the president of it is a woman who's a blacksmith. And I went to her studio and I asked her these questions. And she said, that, she said to put it this way, every time you pound on steel, you hammer into steel, you actually not only hammer it into shape, you hammer stress into the steel. It is stress that makes a leader. Stress makes us stronger. And the stress comes from the hammering. So think of the heat as the vulnerability that allows you to receive mm -hmm. and be shaped by the hammering, right? Stress makes a leader. The hammering. So that happens either in, leader, in the practices we've talked about or actually in the very practice of leadership. Because here's the weird, weird irony, right? If I make a chisel and I pound into steel until, make it, until it's strong and tempered, every time I use that chisel in a, as a tool, I keep adding more stress to the tool. So, that, so she looked at me and she said, if we keep pounding on the steel, we will eventually break it. It'll become brittle. Temp the opposite of tempered isn't soft, it's brittle. So tempered is the halfway point between being too soft to, to be of any use and too brittle to be able to withstand the pounding. So what you do is this process of shaping through adding stress and then making tempered through relieving stress. That's why there needs to be a rhythm in our lives of leading and not leading. This is why you see throughout almost every strong leader, there were moments where they were leading, they were on the front lines, and then there were the next assignment where they were like at a desk job or they were reflecting or they were taking a break and then they were called up again to another leadership role. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there needs to be this rhythm over our lifetime and even in the way we structure our lives. So as, as a person of faith, I think a lot about the fact that, you know, God rested <laughs> on the Sabbath. 
So the Sabbath is a reminder that we can't work all the time, that it's actually idolatry to work all the time. We need rest. And we need rest and we need rhythms of recreation, release. That's part of how we become tempered. So tempering is is it comes to the rhythm of leading and not leading, of adding stress and taking stress away. Um, there was a minor, a guy, I was speaking this one place, an older guy walked up to me and said, hey, you know, you reminded me of when I was a young man, I was a minor in West Virginia. And at the end of every single day, using your pick, picking away in the mines, you couldn't leave until you took it back down to the forge, heated it up, and then let it cool slowly until a blue line went down the middle of your pick. You'd file it and let it just kind of work, get it ready for the next day. But you couldn't leave until a blue line. The blue line meant that it was tempered, that the stress had come out of it. And there's actually, Carl Sandberg has a poem called Laughing Blue Steel. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for how do we have the rhythm of pounding away, adding stress, being pounded into, receiving stress, and then releasing that stress so that we become tempered and flexible. So not too much hammering, you become brittle, not too little hammering or not too little heat because then you can't hammer uh, at, the, at the appropriate time. You know, you're not malleable. So there is a balance. There's a rhythm. This is good. It's not easy, but this is good. Well, the thing about it is I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a very violent transformational metaphor, right? It is. It's, um, and this is but what, what amazing. When I talk to leader about this, they, leaders about this, they go, that is what experience of leadership feels like, right? It's mostly this shaping and forming and pounding and, you know, until finally we become stronger and more flexible and wiser, adaptable, able to lead better. And that is one of the things that I love about this book and why I've recommended it to so many people is just what you, what you just said. Um, To me, I I post on LinkedIn. That's really the only medium that I use for social media, but um, people get the wrong impression. Just like people get the wrong impression about Dr. King now looking back that, oh, well, you got it all figured out because you got a bunch of likes, you got a bunch of, you know, uh, cute phrase that you put out there or whatever. This book is using a metaphor that's hot and messy and sweaty and uh, vulnerable and and it, it's, it's violent at times uh, to hammer in stress into a piece of metal. And I love that because it is, it, that, that, that's what leadership is. It's not cute but it's necessary to move people forward. And, and, uh, and I love it. So uh, there's, there's another phrase uh, from, from a gentleman that, uh, that you spoke about in the first book as well, uh, Edwin Friedman, uh, but you t- talk about the failure of nerve and the failure of heart. So I love that phrase. Um, anything you want to add to that? Cause I, I know that I didn't prep you for that either, but failure of nerve, failure of heart, anything there. Yeah. So Ed Friedman basically talks about the leader's failure of nerve. And what he means by that is it's the moment when the leader is trying, has got to face people. You know, you face your followers, you face your company, you face your team, and you say, we have to do this thing. And they say, you know, how about not? <laughs> how, about, how about if we don't make this change? How about if we just, you know, how about if we just double down on, you know, uh, VHS cassettes rather than move to DVDs by mail, right? Um, or how, how about if we just decide we're not? We're going to stay with film cameras rather than go to digital. Like all these companies that didn't make the pivots, right? What happens is when a leader faces the resistance of your own people, very often they fall, have a failure of nerve. They have the inability to say to these folks, no, we're going to continue on. Mm-hmm. We are going to continue on. 
Because what people want to do is they want to go back. They want to go back to what's familiar. I always say to people, remember the root word of familiar is the same as family. And so when you're in unfamiliar territory, you feel like you're homeless. And you just want to get back to anything that makes you feel like you're back at home, even if it's a dysfunctional home. Even if it's a home on fire or a home that is falling apart, you prefer that over feeling disoriented or rootless or homeless. The leader who overcomes the failure of nerve is the person who can say, we are going to continue to go on. Come with me. We're going to continue to go on. But there's a second temptation. Friedman talks about a failure of heart. What I've discovered is what I call a failure of heart, which is when the leader is, has to face this over and over and over again until finally they become cynical and angry at their followers. So, I mean, there's a great example in the Old Testament of Moses where after God has fed the, um, the Israelites manna for months, they get tired of eating manna, this bread that came as a miracle. They get tired that God does a miracle for them every single day. And they instead say, you know, if we went back to slavery, they killed our children, but at least we could have leeks and onions for lunch. <laughs> and, and he's so mad at them that he literally says to God, if you're going to leave me with these people, kill me now. And every leader has had that experience, right? <laughs> like, God, if this is the only people you're going to let me leave, kill me now. Take me out. I'll, I'll go sell real estate. I'll do something else. I, I'm, my, my little fantasy is that I'll become a national park ranger and I'll do trail maintenance. I will never talk to another human being, right? And what you need to do is to overcome that anger and that cynicism and that disillusionment because nobody wants to follow you when you're angry at them. And so you have to overcome both the failure of nerve that will collude with the lack of change, but you've also got to overcome the failure of heart. The failure of heart is really when the leader becomes brittle. And what tempered is trying to do both. It's trying, tempered resilience is about not having the failure of nerve that is too soft and not having the failure of heart that is too brittle. So being a tempered, resilient leader that is right there in the middle in the sweet spot. So good. So uh, as we close out, I've got three more questions and uh, the number is small, but the questions are again, weighty. You talk about the bridge uh, connecting great leaders to resilient leaders. Uh, here's the quote I'm thinking of. This is not a quiz for you, but here's a quote that I'm thinking of. Great leaders are committed learners. Resilient leaders remain the most teachable. So my question is, how does someone develop and maintain a disposition of teachability and being a learner. So think about this, you know, um, the experience that I had of being a beginning blacksmith is that you walk into the middle of this room, just wearing your street clothes and every single thing in that room can kill you. It's like a place where serious work is done. And before you know it, they are handed you a pair of tongs and a pair of earplugs. That's the only protection you have. I, I thought I was going to have like chain mail or something, right? Like, um, and you put the steel into the fire and you are blacksmithing. And, and literally all they've done is had you sign your name on a piece of paper that says, you know, you could get hurt doing this. Now you're doing it. Now they give you the safety lecture and everything else. And, and the experience of being a leader is just like that, right? Just remember this. Everybody becomes a leader right after they were successful at something that was not leading. So you're the number one salesperson in your group and they make you the sales manager. Now you're in charge of the team. You know, you're the best player. Hey, we'll make you the coach. You know, you're the best speaker. So now we'll make you the pastor. You know, you're the, you have the scholar with the, with the biggest Vita. Now we'll make you the dean. And you've got to realize that you went from being the expert 
to the person who is now the novice leader. And that's where the vulnerability steps in. And at that moment is where you have to decide, I'm going to lead by learning. I'm going to be open, humble, teachable. And the best leaders are those who never lose that. It's why Jeff Bezos talks about day one. You know, his whole thing about day one is every single day in Amazon, the biggest company in the world, we act like it is the first day of our startup. We have to learn today. So leadership is built on the capacity to continue to be a learner. And that's very hard for many of us who just really look forward to the day we can be the expert (laughs) or we don't have to learn anything anymore. Mm -hmm. So then if we're going to be learners and we're expected to be the expert without humility, I would assume this is a train wreck waiting to happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, just think about that right there. You just nailed it, Steve. I I say to leaders that I coach, and I coach leaders of uh, mostly nonprofits and churches and religious organizations. So so they are working with people they love Mm -hmm. in a cause they are, that is their cause of their heart. And I say the biggest challenge you will have is every single day you'll have to get up and disappoint someone because they want you to be the expert. Right? You have to overcome the expert expectation. So I, I, I teach at a graduate school where people get master's degrees. So they come out of there with mastery. And so people look at them and say, okay, master, what should we do? Right. And, and the only honest answer is, I don't know. Uh-huh. We're going to actually learn through this together. Yeah. And that's very disappointing to people. And that, But that is the critical crucible moment. Okay. So, um, I, I make it a little more personal. Um, this is my, uh, second of the last three questions. What was the most surprising lesson you learned about yourself in writing this book? What I learned about myself was the failure of heart. That was the part. Like, so, uh, so I, I, you know, I don't know if this makes sense to any of your leaders, but like I'm an Enneagram eight, you know, which is the, the, one of these yeah. tools, which means that I'm the kind of person who loves a challenge. I like, you know, I was a, I was the captain of the wrestling team in high school. I was, I'm the guy that, um, you know, I would say that I don't have to kick down every door, just the ones that are closed. You know, I'm just, I'd rather kick the door open than knock on it. Right. Mm-hmm. What I discovered was failure of nerve. I was okay. I could face a failure your nerve. I could face people who were fearful and I could rally the troops. I can, I've got a kind of a Henry V side of me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. Mm-hmm. What I couldn't tolerate was how it was doing to my heart, that my disappointment in my people was becoming evident. And I started realizing, oh, this is the brittleness they're talking about. I can become cynical. I can become angry. I can become disillusioned. And I, that is to me, that's like cancer. That was soul sucking. Mm. And so what I had to pay attention to in this whole point about resilience was it wasn't enough just to be the rally the troops strong, you know, pound away at the problem. There needed to be this tempered experience that overcame the failure of heart. And for me, that's the whole section on the failure of heart is all about my, it's, it's really my own journey. The last question that I have for you, and, and I hate that this is the last question because I want to keep talking to you, but again, Maybe we can find another time to, to bring you back and do another webinar or something. Um, what encouragement do you have for leaders who have been beat down by 2020? Oh, yeah, it's the right question, Steve. It really is. So the first, my first encouragement, this is to say this: you have. It, it, we're now we're taping this at the end of 2020. So my first sentence is this: Congratulations, you survived what may be the most 
difficult year for leaders in the last hundred years for sure. So congratulations. The fact that you are still here, that you're even listening to this podcast, that you're wanting to grow, you're wanting to learn. I just commend you. Like this is every single day I get on the phone with a leader who's like on the edge of saying, that's it. I, I mean, I'm out. And they show up the next day for their people. So I want you to know that. The other encouragement I would say is to say, take seriously that your vulnerability is normal and is necessary. And your relationships are critical. I, I would put it this way. If you are trying to lead and you don't have a mentor, a coach, um, a therapist, uh, you are committing leadership malpractice. Like trying to lead alone is dangerous to you and everybody else. So get a coach, get a mentor, get a group, get with some people. If the greatest professional athletes in the world all have coaches, then you as a leader can probably also have a coach. Have someone with you. So embrace the vulnerability and find your, get yourself a heavy anvil of partners, mentors, and friends. Well, that is very encouraging. And uh, uh, there's a lot to be learned through reflection on 2020. Todd, thank you again for taking time to do this. Thank you for the book. Um, uh, we're going to have in the show notes uh, the where you can get the book um, and uh, other other things that we were spoke about in this podcast. But Todd, thank you again for taking the time to write this book and um and you know, my, my favorite line in the book, uh, which I haven't told you yet, is all the way at the end, towards the end, at least, where you say everything I've written in this book, I have lived. And so there's credibility there, sir. So thank you for being vulnerable yeah. in this conversation. And thank you for the information as well. You bet, Steve. And yeah, you know, Steve, I thank you for that. It's really great. I love engaging with your listeners. I know they engage with lots of different places. If, if any folks want to just get more connected to the kind of work we do, all I got to do is just text the word change, change to 66866, change 66866. It gets connected to the Leadership Institute that I run and it gets connected to all the resources we have in podcasts and stuff. Awesome. We're going to have that. We're going to have that in the show notes as well. So Todd, thank you again. And until next time, sir, uh, enjoy your family and uh, also stay safe and healthy. We will talk to you again down the line. Thanks, Steve. You bet. So take away an action item, but first, another quote from his book. And this one is one that I shared with my team in the midst of the 2020 crucible uh, from page 139. So it's weighty. Here it is. And it points to why you need to get this book. A teachable learning mindset leads to a greater capacity for staying in a difficult position, taking on a particularly difficult task, or standing up to resistance because there is an inherent assurance that if all else fails, this trial will, if nothing else, lead to further growth. So good. So takeaway. Here's my takeaway. Leader, you are not alone. Build your resilience with intentionality and vulnerability. Action item. Get a mentor, a coach, a group, a therapist. The heavy anvil of relationships. You need it. I need it. We all need it. Now, if you're looking for a group of leaders to encourage and challenge you along the way, keep an eye out for the impact of leadership community that's going to be coming in the next few months. 
Now we're launching a place for folks like you to connect with fresh ideas, resources, and like-minded leaders. I'll keep the updates coming, and we are super, super excited to serve you all in this way. If you're new to the podcast, we have dozens of conversations that will aid in your growth as a leader. Here's two simple ways to get them. You can go to ccbtechnology.com slash podcast, or if you're listening on your phone, just click that purple subscribe icon and you'll have access to all the episodes just like magic. I can't wait to be with you all again soon, but until then, from all of us at CCB Technology, thanks for listening.